Let's pray as we come to God's word, and that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you thanks that your word is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And we pray that you, you, will, uh, you will speak to us this morning and shape our thoughts, shape our lives, shape our hearts, that we may be instruments uh, that will glorify your name as we go out. Lord, we thank you for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I think a picture is going to come up. Um, this is a picture from the London Gallery of Art. If you have been there, you have probably passed by it because it's uh, displayed really prominently in the gallery. And there are a few interesting things about the uh, painting. Well, it's called Ambassadors by Hans Holbein the Younger, and it's painted around the time of the Reformation in 15, uh, 1500s, mid-1500s. Um, and uh, so there is a... Um, there's a lute there, but right underneath the lute, there is the uh, Lutheran hymnal, uh, hymnal right there. Uh, but also the lute uh, has a bunch of different strings, obviously, but then one of the string is broken, symbolizing the sort of discord that was happening at the time in the religious scene um, during the Reformation time. But there's also not-so-subtle symbolism that's splashed across the page that's there right at the bottom. Do you see it? It's slightly out of perspective, um, but it's, it's one of a skull. Skull is painted right at the bottom um, there. Um, what it's saying is, although these two men, two, these two ambassadors, are, are, are at the prime of their lives, they are, in fact, at some day, going to die. This is a reminder of their mortality. And I'm also told that medieval people often painted the hourglass uh, for the same reason, to remind themselves that time will run out, that they will die. And I like the symbolism so much, actually, that I uh, have one on my desk as well. This hourglass. Um, I, I put it on my desk because to remind me that I'm actually going to die, that this isn't something, uh, my life isn't going to last forever. But it's not just some fascination about death. I don't have any romantic relationship with death, and I don't want to die, and I'm keenly aware that the Bible says death is our enemy. It's not something that's good in this world. But when things are going well, when you are like one of these ambassadors, when you're at the prime of your life, when you're healthy and, and career's going well and things like that, then you forget that your life has a beginning, middle, and an end you tend to forget that you are going to die. And remembering the, the, the end, that we only have one life to live, that I, we shouldn't waste it. For me, this reminds me that this will happen, that I will die, that I have only one life to live. But it's not just the fact that actually we're going to die um, that's important to remember. We all know that, and people seem to still do stupid things. Um, the, if you're young, you know what YOLO means. YOLO. Um, it means you, on, uh, you only live once. And it's one of these things that people cry out to do stupid things. So the reminder that they're going to die doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to live it wisely. We need something more than that, more than the belief that we're going to die. In fact, what I think is really important is what we think about what happens after death. After death, what will happen, um, uh, what, what we think about what will happen after death will help us to live our lives wisely or unwisely. 
if we, if we believe that, uh, that, that life is aimless, that things began accidentally and will fizzle out accidentally, and after our death is nothing, then there is no reason to live wisely. But Christians believe that, um, that there is a story over this whole world, that it had a beginning and it has a middle and that it also has an end. And of course, this end is what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Our parable starts in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And that it is the end time. Um, in, in fact, all chap- uh, chapters, uh, chapter 23 to 25, Matthew 23 to 25, is all about the end times and what will happen at the end, when it'll come, and how it'll come suddenly, and what will happen when Jesus comes suddenly at the end times. But b- before we talk about the end, uh, let me just remind us how the whole thing began. The scripture tells us that the world had a beginning. And do you remember what God says after he creates human beings in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28? He says, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Well, God creates human beings and God creates us to be in charge, to rule over the whole world. We are to reign in God's place as people who bear God's image. God created the whole thing, and he entrusts the whole world for us to rule. And actually, that's what this parable implies as well. The master, in verse 14, calls the servants and entrusts his wealth to them. The master gives what is his for, the, for his servants to take care of. The parable implies that the world in, in which we live is God's. That the life that we're entrusted with is God's. That we are stewards of them all. But as you know, not everyone is equally endowed. Some people are entrusted more uh, than others. The master gives one servant five bags of gold, as the new NIV translates it, five talents, to another two talents, and another to another one talent. Some people, are, some people are given great responsibilities in this world, and some people are given small responsibilities. But the point is that we are to make something out of those responsibilities to respective talents. And after he leaves uh, the servants with the talents, he expects the servants to be fruitful. And this, of course, is really about our lives. Now that what God deems fruitful is different from what the, nor- what the world normally considers fruitful. But the point is that God has given each one of us gifts, life, time, money, intelligence, energy, health, opportunities, some more than others. But God wants us to use them well, use them faithfully to bear fruit through our lives. And that's what this parable is ultimately saying, that we can't waste our life that's been endowed with God-given gifts for us. So the life that has a beginning, middle, but it also has an end. And that's the most important thing about this parable, that it tells us about how the world will end, that there will be a judgment at the end, that the master will come to judge our lives, that God will take account of how we lived our lives, 
Our lives last a short span in time in this life, but in some ways it has an infinite significance because each of the choices that we make, we make in front of the infinite God. And to some, like the two servants who made 100% profit, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for, with a few things, and I'll put you in charge over many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And those who live their lives faithfully in Christ will be rewarded. They will share God's happiness. And the, the Bible tells us that we will reign with him in the end. That's the picture, the reward that we're given. And of course, the flip side is also true as well. Some will be ju judged harshly. If he or she hasn't lived faithfully, what he had will be taken away. But that's not the end of it. The master will say, you wicked and lazy servant. And even more frightening, uh, frighteningly, he will say, throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell awaits them. Verse 30. The problem with most of us in this church, I think, is that many of us are very successful. We're too comfortable. You're like those ambassadors in the picture, top of their game, in their prime, and you never think of death. I think there's a picture. You never think about the judgment. So the question I want to ask is, when is the last time you thought about the new creation? The new creation, the end time that will come. Some people never think about it. Some people only think about it when they're th facing difficulties. Some people think about it. I was sick a little bit. I mean, I, I, a man flu, really, the uh, last couple of days. And I thought, oh, it'd be better to die than, you know. It's one of these things. When you, uh, when you are sick, you think about it. And as people grow older, maybe people think about it a bit more. But what Jesus is saying is really take out your hourglass. Get a skull for your desk. Because what we do every day should be done in the light of this day. The day that Jesus will come to judge our lives. That the choices that we make every day has a significance because of what God will say to us at the end of the days. When Christ comes back, or when he calls us home, to live with this perspective of the end, our lives has an ending, have an ending. The world has an ending. But it's not just that we will die and face judgment. Um, that, that reminder uh, that will help us to live productively in this earth. It's also, I think, who we live for, who we work for, that will make an enormous difference. I don't know about what your boss is like. Some people, some of you have great bosses. Uh, some of you have bad bosses. Some of you are great bosses to others. Some of you are bad bosses to others. But really, um, who you work for is very important in how, uh, in how productive you are, how, you, how productive that you can be. 
And here is where the, the, the first two servants got right and where the third servant got wrong. While the two servants the doubled up in their investments on this and that, the third servant who received one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. In the days without banks, I've, I've said this a couple of weeks back, days without banks, when you had a great sum of wealth, you did, you, there was no banks, and so they dug a hole in the ground. That's where, where they kept it. And we hear him ex- explaining his rationale in verse 24. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. What the servant basically says is that he understood his master to be unreasonable, unscrupulous, hard and greedy and angry man to be, uh, to, to be feared. He was paralyzed, he says, and he couldn't make a decision about what to do with the money. So he dug a hole in the ground and buried the money. And, you know, it is kind of understandable, isn't it? Imagine if you're working for a terrible boss who expects you to be perfect and gets hugely upset if you make any tiny mistake. You would be paralyzed. You wouldn't know what to do. And it's because the third servant feared his master because he misunderstood his master. He couldn't do anything. Each decision became too big. Each action seemed to have too big of a consequence. I think this is how some of us think about God, think of God. Isn't that what we do when we can't make a decision, this or that? Take a job. Um, Some people are wondering um, which job to take, and some people are paralyzed in making this decision. Because if you think that if I take this job, and if it's the wrong decision, then God will punish us. That this decision has too big of a consequence, and so I can't, I don't know what to do. Some men, I think, think of um, who to marry like this as well. They have no faith in God who works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes our misunderstanding of God prohibits us from making good decisions, making decisions at all. It paralyzes paralyzes us. And of course, I also think that the uh, the third servant probably didn't even want to work for this master. Why would he if he understood his master to be this harsh, terrible, angry, and greedy man? And many people think of God in this way as well because they don't know Jesus in Christ. They don't know how gracious he is, how loving he is. They don't want to give their lives to to, to God. No wonder that they want to live their lives for themselves. So what is God? What is God like? Um, And we get a little bit of hints, I think, in this parable we get the hint that this master, God, is gracious. Just look at the way that the master treats the first two servants. When, the, when, when he comes and he sees what the servants have done, this is what he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Rather than wanting more from them, he adds to what they have. He rewards them. 
He invites them. He says, come and share my happiness. Also, in the third servant, to the third servant, he implies that even if all that the third servant did was to go to the bank and deposit the money and collect the interest, which means that the third servant really didn't do anything, he would have been okay with that. He would have been happy with that. The master would have been happy with anything, is what he's saying. You've seen your kids bring little uh, drawings to you, right? And you, you take it and you go, oh, what is this? <laughs> but if you're a terrible parent, you would go, how could you bring this to me? What is this? But if you're a loving parent, you might say, oh, this is nice. <laughs> it's blue. <laughs> you might even praise them for what they have done. The picture that we're given here is the master who would be happy with anything. The gracious, uh, gracious master um, who would be happy with anything. And as we live, and that's the thing, but also as we live our lives for God, God's glory, we will also be able to bear the kind of the fruit um, that will please him. We know that uh, the fruit that he expects is not wealth or status or worldly achievements, that doesn't please, uh, that, uh, uh, those things don't please God. We know this because of what God has revealed in the scriptures. His kingdom's values are different. It's meekness, humility, kindness, gentleness, joy. More than productivity, it's faithfulness to him, obedience to him. Not only will God well, knowing God will determine what sort of job that we take, but also it will determine how we do the job and for whom we do it. So, who do you work for? What kind of a God do you work for? What kind of a master do you work for? What kind of a master do you live for? Do you live for this angry, greedy God or this gracious and gentle God? who is shown in Jesus Christ, who is revealed in Jesus Christ. And I do think often of this moment, um, this master taking account of my life, saying, well done, my faith, good and faithful servant. It's something that I imagine often. Um, wouldn't that just be the best feeling to face Christ at the end of the days? And Christ saying, my good and faithful servant, that my life has pleased God. But I think there might be a question out there. Um, On the surface level, this parable almost looks like it's a parable about um, uh, theology of works, how we will be judged on how productive we have been with our lives, that we will be judged by our works. And I want to say a few words um, as we end Um, uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think this is what uh, productivity is. What this parable is all about. First, as I mentioned above, talents and fruits um, are different from what the world thinks of them. It's not how much money. It's not how useful you have been in this world. Even if we read the Sermon on the Mount, we know that usefulness is not Jesus's main ethical concern. Turning the other cheek is rarely useful. But it's understanding, it's understanding who God is, who Jesus is, and following him 
Now, I think, once again, this is the main difference between the first two servants and the third servant. The first two servants knew and understood who the master is and who they were working for. And the third did not. The third servant completely misunderstood their master. While the master is gracious, generous, and kind, the servant, the third servant, thought him harsh, unreasonable, greedy, and angry. And when the master says in verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I I have not sown and where I have not scattered seed. The master is not confirming what the, third servant, uh, what the third servant said about him. The word to know in verse 24 where the, the, the servant, third servant, says, um, I know you to be this terrible master, is that the word to know there in verse 24 is different from the word to know in verse 26. In 26 is to really more like to understand so I think in verse, 20, uh, the verse 26 should be translated as something like, So you thought I harvest where I have not sown and gather where, where I have not um, scattered. He's not confirming uh, the, uh, the third servant's beliefs. He, 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 he misunderstood who the master was. And we often say that Christianity is all about relationship with God. And the first servant, first two servants had a relationship with their master. They knew who he was. And the third servant did not. He didn't have a relationship with the master. At least he didn't have a right relationship with the master. God had sent Jesus Christ. We know who God is. We know how he died for us on the cross. To have the right relationship with him is to know him, to know Jesus Christ on the cross. And these are the things that I know about my God. I know that my master created the whole universe, whole world, and he entrusted me and you to rule over this world. He has given us different gifts, talents, intelligence, education, character, opportunities, and whatever else that's in our life, he's given us to use to be stewards of all those, to be stewards of his creation and of our lives. I know that he is good because of these things, but most supremely, I know that he is good because of Jesus, because he sent his son to die on the cross. And I know that he will come, he will return to judge the living and the dead, and he will reward those who have lived faithfully, to those who have known him, those who have done great things, and those who have scribbled um, these blue paintings for him. As long as we have lived in relationship with him, faithful to him, he will reward us. And I want to remind myself and to all of us that our time will end And then in that day, we will stand on the judgment day. I hope you look forward to hearing my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share my master's happiness. Amen.